Welcome to Northern Nevada Green Living Podcast, where we support your quest for a happier, healthier, planet-friendly life that supports you, your family, and community. This show is produced by Go Green Locally, a nonprofit resource supporting eco-conscious choices at the local level. Today on our podcast, I'm speaking with Colin Watley of Scrub Jay Farm in Reno, just east of UNR. Colin Watley started Scrub Jay Farm in the spring of 2021 as a result of a career change and a desire to experiment with gardening methods and goals that differ from standard production farms. The emphasis at Scrub Jay Farm is on edible flowers, herbs, food preservation, testing new plant varieties, and seed saving. The farm consists of hugel culture beds built through a 1 16th of an acre residential lot with permaculture principles as a central focus. In 2022, the second year, the focus has been on planting shrubby intermediate and taller fruit tree layers and continued soil development. The work has also shown Colin the secondary benefits of working with plants can be much greater than the value of the flowers and vegetables grown. This has developed into a talk and hands-on workshops that he has presented to several grade schools, assisted living facilities, the National Alliance for Mental Illness, and the Empowerment Center. Colin also realized that many of the emotional benefits available being around outdoor plants are equally available through indoor plants as well. Since then, he has started offering indoor greenscape installations and services to local Reno businesses. The goals now for Colin and Scrub J Farm are to continue to hold talks and workshops and offer more indoor plantscaping for local businesses. Welcome to the podcast, Colin. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for having me, Jane. I'm so excited to speak with you and learn more about Scrub J Farms local talks and workshops and your commercial indoor plant business. So tell me about natural farming and permaculture and how you came to learn about them originally and your journey since. Okay. Uh, well, I've always spent time outdoors with my mother in the garden or on hiking trips and camping, and that instilled in me a, a love for nature and and what the possibilities are there. And so when I had the opportunity to develop my own property, I wanted to uh, employ some of those techniques and things that I saw. What I like about permaculture is that it's a long-term um, system that builds upon itself. So every year should be better than the year prior. And the, the natural planning I, uh, or natural farming, I think is just encouraging natural systems and not trying to control everything so rigorously. So it's it's more of a creating the environment for success to happen rather than focusing very single-mindedly on a, on a production point. Nice, and for those people that maybe aren't familiar with permaculture, how would you describe it in let's say a couple sentences? Sure, uh, planning systems that encourage uh, wildlife or benefits to humans in such a way that you could walk away for a couple of years and come back and they'll still be growing and thriving, focusing more on like a holistic system than necessarily a certain plant or 
garden concept. Nice. So you mentioned in your intro that um, you planted a number of culture beds. Can you explain what that is and maybe some of the benefits? Sure. So um, culture beds mimic uh, forests where a tree will fall and become dirt over time and plants will grow up and out of it. And I thought that that concept would be very well suited to Nevada because of the dry air and, and um, the need for moisture retention. And so traditionally, culture is above ground to where there'll be three or four foot tall mounds with wood at the base. And I've done that in a few places. And in other places, I've excavated my garden beds and then layered the bottom with wood and then put the dirt and amended dirt back on top of it. It takes a little while for the beds to mature and the wood to break down. But when it does, there's a lot of nutrients available and the wood acts as a reservoir for water and for fungus. And so just increases the overall health of the health and productivity of, of the growing space. Nice. Nice. So what kind of landscaping was at Scrub J Farm before you moved there? And um, like what were some of the steps that you had to go through to increase the fertility of the soil besides the hugel culture beds? Uh, there were a few trees planted, uh, but uh, and, a, and a giant, probably 50-year-old lilac bush in the back, but nothing else besides. A lot of it was overgrown. The property hadn't been maintained for years. Um, and in digging, I, I, I didn't see a worm the entire first year, which was very disheartening. <laughs> uh, but the, the soil was very poor. Um, I would go down an inch or two inches and hit hard-packed clay almost immediately. And that led me to excavate a foot or deeper down for all of my beds, just so that there would be leg space for the, the roots of the plants that I wanted to grow. So in doing that, I, I made the space, carved out the clay and, and carted it off. And then I've put probably, I couldn't even say 20 or 30 yards of um, double mix, like humus and uh, compost or and uh, manure mix and local soil and dried up sod. And then around all the beds, I put wood chips down. I use the free chip drop wood service and I've probably put 20 or 30 yards of wood chip everywhere on the, the walking areas. And I feel like that helps insulate the ground in general and will break down and develop into soil over time and uh, makes a nicer surface to walk on. So no grass, there's no grass anywhere. The back is slowly developing into a lawn uh, but it's it's all weeds, so I I like that. I, I kind of prefer it. So it's almost like a little bit of like a meadow? Kind of, yeah. Uh, you'd have to see it, but I go out once in a while and knock the plants down with a weed whacker to kind of encourage the lateral growth, and I continually amend with wood chips and do broadcast sprays uh, maybe twice or three times a month. But I, I feel that, especially in this environment of uh, a desert, if you just add water to almost anywhere, things are going to thrive because that's the only thing that's missing. There's plenty of sun. And it's nice and hot, but no water. So add the water and you'll get plants. Right. Do you mention broad broadcast sprays? What um, I wasn't. So that that would be as opposed to like a drip line where okay. it's putting water directly under the ground using an older fashioned sprayer that that puts it up in the air and then it falls and that more closely mimics the uh, rain natural systems that exist and so that treats the environment 
I, I think it's really important to, when you're growing something, look at amending and watering and, and the health of the soil and the environment over the plant. If you put a drip on the plant, it's going to get that little drip of water. But if you water all the soil around the plant, the plant will push out the roots and colonize all that space and use it much more efficiently. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so I'm curious, some of the plants and trees that you've planted, have you um, been able to get those locally or um, have you sourced them from a certain place that you've been happy with? Uh, there's a lot of local resources for uh, local plants. And I like to do that first because I know they're coming from the area and they've been varieties that were successful for the people selling them. Uh, Loping Coyote Farms does a lot of like woodsier, shrubby sort of bushes and things like that. I bought rhubarb crowns off them last year. Um, and then I, I do frequent the big box stores just to see what's there. I picked up a Chicago uh, party fig from them this last week. And then I'll, I'll look on local sales sites like uh, Facebook Marketplace. I drove down to Washoe Valley a few months ago and picked up a Edmonton peach. Uh, and it was from someone that has a little hobby farm down there and does his own grafting and, and propagation. And it's, it was nice. It's nice to support someone else that's doing similar work. And I have a lot more faith in the, the long-term viability of what I'm getting from them. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. New Haven. New Haven. Okay. Great. Um, so what has helped you realize some of the secondary benefits of working with outdoor and indoor plants? And do you have any stories that you'd like to share from your work doing educational presentations and workshops? Uh, the, the work itself is just very rewarding. I, I like, I'm very passionate about this and, and doing the work provides me with a lot of satisfaction and pride and helps measure the time well and gives kind of passage to the seasons and it, it, I feel like working with plants points people in a more, more holistic mindset where compassion and just all sorts of positive things. It's, it's hard to kind of, it's, it's something that I experience directly. And so it's hard to translate that for other people. But I have a lot of faith that other people, if they can have the direct experience of working with plants and see some success, uh, uh, will we'll feel those same feelings. Excellent. Excellent. So do you have any growing tips for planting and nurturing plants with our unique climate and soil conditions? It, it is very challenging here. The, the season, I grew up in Nebraska and, and helped in a garden there and they have harsher climate, but a much longer growing season. So here, if you're looking to do larger fruited tomatoes or peppers and things like that, you have to start them very early inside and get them to a substantial size before you transplant them. Um, the season is just too short otherwise. Uh, the air is dry, the soil's not always great, so you have to water a lot. I do techniques where I'll top my beds with straw to help retain the moisture and provide a habitat for bugs. I'll, I'll do a modified las lasagna kind of uh, method where I'll put smaller pieces of cardboard down and the straw on top of that to also help retain the moisture. And then I'm, I'm interplanting things to give my beds more root structure, which I think will help tremendously in the future on spreading the water around more efficiently and providing uh, resources for when it's drier, more of a buffer. So the more organic, like living or recently dead material that I have in my beds, the, the healthier they'll be. 
Uh, so that's what I've noticed primarily. So do you do anything to bring in additional biodiversity? Um, anything to kind of uh, help keep more balance and um, diminish like pest problems or things of that sort? So I, I have a good story with that I recently encountered. I uh, grew some kohlrabi all through the winter and wanted to save the seeds. So I let it go to seed this spring, uh, but it attracts aphids uh, very easily. And I noticed that becoming a problem, um, but I didn't spray. I didn't treat it in any way. I just cut some of the bits off. Uh, and then those uh, aphids spread to my daisies, which were planted right around the area. And I had a couple blossoms lost, but nothing too tremendous. And I saw the ladybugs on them. And it's like, oh, great. The predators are in. They're starting to work. But there was a tr such a tremendous amount of, of aphids that they weren't there. There weren't enough ladybugs to handle the problem. And then a week or two went by, and the aphids went away. And I was like, "Oh, okay, this is interesting." And I was out in my garden one night in the evening, and I saw earwigs, thousands and thousands of earwigs, one on every blossom. And I was like, "Ah, this is who ate all the aphids." And so, looking it up, uh, I I learned a lot about earwigs. Uh, but one of the things is they're omnivores. And so once the aphids were gone, they started to chomp in on my daisies. And I was like, okay. So I, I went out a couple times with the vacuum cleaner and sucked them all up in the vacuum cleaner. And so I, I decreased the, the population, but I still saw the damage on the flowers and some activity. And more time has passed and I see hardly any damage or activity now. So now the question is what's eating those? <laughs> and, uh, in, in my research on the bugs specifically, they're kind of at the top of the pyramid. So it's usually birds or frogs or lizards that are eating them, which I don't have a tremendous amount of. But as a precaution for next year, I'm gonna put a water feature in my front yard and get some local water with tadpoles and start a little frog colony there and let that become the predator class that takes on the earwigs. So it's a, it's a constantly evolving system of, what I'm doing wrong and what I can tweak, but I wanna be really careful not to disrupt things too much because there's so much going on in the background that I'm not aware of and don't understand, but I believe that having that life there, those bugs there is gonna be beneficial in a, a longer term way. So even though my flowers might have bites in them, I'm, I'm thrilled that there's thousands of bugs in my garden because it means it's supporting life. It's it's. It's bountiful, just not in the way that I would prefer it to be. Excellent, excellent. So do you have any additional information about working with plants that you'd like to share? Maybe tips for people that don't have a yard who want to grow more plants indoors? Just just start, just just try it and do it. The plants are relatively cheap now and with COVID, the indoor plant craze, there's a lot more varieties available than there were just a few years ago. Um, I, I think the experiential learning is the best. So get one and start. And if there's problems, then look it up. But I feel like people can spend all their time researching something and, and never really do it. Uh, and then there's a lot of great nonprofit volunteer opportunities in Reno. It seems like more all the time. And you're one of those good storehouses of information on that. And then growing in the Jolene Cook's organization is also a great place to learn about volunteer opportunities and what's going on in the area. Um, so if people are interested in it, I'd encourage them to go out and do it. 
Like don't don't learn about it, just do it. Yeah, excellent. And then, and on that topic, have you uh, through I think earlier discussions you mentioned that you've worked with um, a number of local farms. Um, please tell us a little bit about some of the cool things that you might have enjoyed and learned through those experiences. I I think the the biggest thing that I learned is that I really enjoy people that that exist professionally in the the agricultural system. They have different goals than a lot of people that, that I've known in the past, and they're usually very passionate and compassionate and uh, eager to share what they've learned and just uh, a joy to be around. So I think that any group that you volunteer with, you're going to meet uh, a different kind of class of people uh, than you would normally, and, and that's been that's been the best for me. But everyone has their own kind of goals in town and ways about trying to achieve them. And it just depends what you're interested in. If if you'd like to grow food and help support a community kitchen and see great diversity, you could go and volunteer with Reno Food Systems that has a lot of hours that are open. If you're interested in more of the commercial production end of things, Prima Farms is great and has an internship program where there's a low time commitment needed and you get to go out and participate on an active commercial farm. Um, there's smaller organizations like Soulful Seeds and Be the Change that exist in town and, and have events that, that happen. And it depends on what you're trying. I would encourage people to, to do a, a uh, look into what's available and then find the group that closely matches the goals of their own. Yeah. Um, so as we wrap up, can you recommend a resource, maybe a book, a website, or a film that's been particularly helpful or informative that you might want to share? Sure. Uh, I, I spent time uh, working in Sonoma County at the Luther Burbank Experiment Farm, and Luther Burbank was a, a genius of his time and very interesting and developed hundreds and hundreds of types of plants. Uh, so his history is, is interesting, was inspiring to me. And then for work in the area, Growing in V, again, is a great place to find different events and the groups that exist in town to work. But as far as books or films or things like that, I, I would go and do it. <laughs> the, the benefits are in, it, it's the difference between playing intramural sports or reading a book about sports. Just, just go play. Nice, nice. Where can we learn more about your upcoming events and uh, maybe your indoor plant services or if someone just wants to reach out with questions? Sure. Well, I'm on Instagram and Facebook as Scrub J Farms. And then I'm on Facebook as Golden Trowel as well, which is the branding I've kind of decided on for my indoor plant work. And then I have a, my art-based nonprofit, Non-Traditional Art, has a website, non-tart, N-O-N-T-A-R-T.com. Any of those places people can reach out with questions or interests, and I'll get back to you and see what we can do together. Excellent. Well, thank you, Colin, for taking the time to share this with us and working to develop more delicious, healthy, and helpful plant environments for us all to enjoy. Thank you, Jim. For details and links mentioned in today's episode, please check out the show notes. Also, if you haven't already, subscribe at gogreenlocally.org to receive local green event monthly emails to help you stay informed about events going on in your area.